Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Oh, oh, oh. Um, should we start the show? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel. As always, Mike Coscarelli is here doing the things that Mike Coscarelli does. <laughs> Great job on the roast of Curtis Sliwa. Mike Coscarelli nailed it. Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate that. All right. Suba. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's time for, I don't even know, some sort of drive time deaf leopard rock block. You got to drive with one arm. We're playing the drummer game. <laughs> Um, all right. Of course, that's a reference to the Def Leppard, Def Leppard drummer who lost his arm but still drummed, and there needs to be a movie about it. I don't want to see, what is it, 147 hours, 187 hours, whatever. Some dude got stuck under a rock and had to cut his arm off, and James Franco played him in a movie. <laughs> but who's playing the drummer for Def Leppard? Maybe uh, Benicio Del Toro. Uh, all right. Suba Argawal is joining us today. Hey. Thank you, Suba. You're in love. Yes, yes, That's I am. great. I'll tell you, <laughs> this week has been the worst, the worst week ever. I hate, I hate this week, and I wanted to die, <laughs> but that's okay. Anyway, um, Suba Argawal, you, we, you and I have known each other for quite a while, yes. many, many years. Yes. And you're, you're a rising star in the comedy stand-up comedy scene, and you're one of those go-getters. Yeah. They say you're a, you're, a, you're a non-smelly Mike Lawrence. <laughs> Mike Lawrence is a comedian here out of New York City. He's been on the John Oliver Show and runs a great podcast out of Cave Comedy Radio called Nerd of Mouth. Check it out. But the man does smell. You work really, really hard, though. Yes. That's great. And your parents, they're Indian. <laughs> the two are related, yes. That's good. And they hate the fact that you, that you do stand-up oh, comedy. They, do not, they don't like it. Initially, my mother would say shit like, oh, you're not my daughter. You're like ruining this family. You're hanging out at bars. You're a prostitute. Like she would say all types of you're shit. You're hanging out at bars. You're a prostitute. And she absolutely nailed what being a stand-up comedian <laughs> is because that pretty much is the exact... Uh, if you had to go through a description of what a prostitute does or what a stand-up comedian does, we're on the streets late at night trying to make people happy for money. Well, um, prostitutes, which is exactly what prostitutes do. Um, I have friends that are prostitutes, and they make way more money than I do, and they're way happier. Than yeah, I and they don't have to go through the open mic grind. I assume it's, once um, you begin the prostitute lifestyle, sure, there's a learning curve, but you're pretty much a pro immediately. Yeah, and it's a lot less degrading than comedy. A lot less revealing, I would say. A lot less. Right. Being a prostitute, showing yeah. your butthole for money is less revealing than doing stand-up so. comedy. I agree with you because <laughs> nobody knows about the fact that that prostitute who is showing her butthole, uh, butthole for money also has a real fear of bathtubs and spiders. <laughs> and you can only learn that uh, while listening to somebody's amazing stand-up comedy exactly. routine. So your parents treated you like an evangelical um, like evangelical parents would treat their child if they came out as gay. Yeah, but you much. said mom and dad and they're like, oh, please say you're a lesbian. Please say you're a lesbian. And then you said, I'm a comedian. And they said, get out of the house, you witch woman, you satanic beast. How are they doing now with your uh, love of stand-up comedy? Because you're doing great. <laughs> they're um, they're coming around. Uh, they're... My mother told me like a year ago that she was proud of how hard, like how brave I was. Not of my comedy or my jokes. She doesn't like any right. Of but like, um, she respects the fact that I would even do this. She's like, yeah, I guess it's pretty crazy. I have to respect that. That's and, great. Uh, so this is the equivalent of your fa family being like, well, we think that Becky is a really nice girl. <laughs> yeah. You know. Exactly. So this is them approving of your same-sex relationship exactly. to some degree, even though they disagree with the lifestyle in general. A hundred percent true. And like, they don't like any of my material. They can't, like, my mom tried to come to New York to see a show, and I was like, you are out of your skull if you think I'm getting on stage when you're in the room. Like, there's no right. fucking, and she also still thinks I'm a virgin, and like, I, I mean, I'm not. Yikes. <laughs> I'm not super dirty, but like, I'm dirty enough to where I had to have done something to know what I'm talking about. So, I really right. don't want her to ever listen to a set, ever. I mean, you're not the dirtiest comedian by any uh, stretch of the imagination. So, did you want your life, did you watch... Eddie Murphy's coming to America and just be like, ooh, that's what I'm going to do. Make my parents travel to New York to hunt me down and find Hilarious. me and try to bring me back home. No. <laughs> it's turning into that a little bit. That's great. 
they want me to come with to them uh with them to india later this year and i'm pretty sure they're just gonna leave me there like i'm pretty sure this is a kidnapping situation india is gonna be great and it's a wonderful place for women to be because you can just <laughs> ride the buses and everything is safe and you get to your destination and then you get to be ceo of whatever company that the bus drops you off on i i don't know it's hard to tell because my i asked my mom about that shit and she was like oh it's just the white media like she's like it's not what it is right but i have no so i have no clue because that's what i'm watching i'm watching the white media and she's like it's yeah. not but then again like everything she told me when i was little was about me not getting raped and i'm like why are you so worried about me getting raped if you're not if there's not people there's not a lot of rape happening in general. i think there's a lot of it happening that's the major <laughs> problem with india right now women are not having a good time international women's day it was this past week i believe yeah. uh if i read if i read twitter correctly i think that it was last week and uh, it really, in America, it's like, you know, it's something. But in India, it was taken very, very seriously. There was large marches, big protests, and they were protesting very legitimate claims <laughs> and very legitimate issues. They also pulled somebody out of a, um, I believe this was in India, an accused rapist, but like everyone's like, we know we did it. It's sort of like Aaron Hernandez, who's on trial uh, for murder. It's like, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. He's a killer and a great tight end for the New England Patriots. <laughs> so let's not forget the good old days. When everyone was cheering on a double murderer when he scored a touchdown. But they took this. It was old school. They went to the jail where this accused rapist, a.k.a. actual rapist, was being held. They drug him to the streets and they nearly beat him to death. And it was really one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Women just lined up one by one, slapped him with shoes, pineapples, whatever the hell they had in their hands. And the guy was just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I thought that was the greatest justice I've ever seen for a rapist. Yeah, I think there are like a bunch of stories like that where it's like groups of women like attack, like are attacking a rapist or killing a rapist and the cops being like, who did it? And then like a thousand were like, we did it. And then they can't put a thousand people in jail so they just can get away yeah what are you gonna do yeah because uh yeah no that's pretty it's pretty cool i mean india's pretty dope i mean we're the only oh yeah america hasn't had a female president yet but india has so there you go what do you think do you think it's gonna be hillary people are really concerned (laughs) about these emails i've been all over it i've been talking a lot about it on my program abe lincoln's top hat check that out on cave comedy radio people are um livid with her, uh, with her email, with her inability to have the right email account. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. I mean, to be honest, I didn't. Um, I don't know. I don't care. Like, it's just all such bullshit. Is that like? I don't. Like, it the fact is. That yeah, it it's could fun. Possibly be Clinton's versus Bush again. I'm like, this isn't real. Like, I'm not here right now. This it's is, all nonsense. I know Clinton fucking... Bush. It'll be. Uh, a lot more of the same. But then you also have to see like bumper stickers that'll be like Hillary and then the other one will be like Bush and then you have to think of Bush and Hillary in the same <laughs> framework and then I'm thinking of Hillary's Bush or I'm thinking of Bush whatever <laughs> and the whole then I'm thinking pubic hair and everything's falling apart. You know? <laughs> so did you grow up were your parents really religious? You're first gen, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a first generation as well. My father is from Germany. What's a di- it's a different place than India. <laughs> but were your parents really religious? Um oh yeah, my mother was insanely religious. In what religion? Uh, Hinduism. Okay. And then my father didn't give a shit, but uh, that's he pretty had standard. To. <laughs> is, is that? Yeah, I think I don't know many. Re- Actually, in my in my parents' relationship, my father cares more about the religion than my mother. I think, but I think most of the time, the mother is the one who drags the family to the church, and the father is just like, well, okay, just so he can ironically try to have sex with her that that's week. That's funny. Maybe in the Simpsons. I don't know. All the like all the Hare Krishnas I see are dudes. Like, oh, Hare Krishnas. <laughs> yeah. Are they Hindu? Yeah. Those. Are, I mean. They're Hindu, but they're the like, white Hindu, <laughs> the John yes. Lennon or the uh, George Harrison Hindus. Yes, the Iggy Azalea of Hindus. The Hari Krishnas. The, I don't know what it is about them. They hang out in uh, Union Square on occasion, and uh, <laughs> they have the their whole head is shaved except for the little knob in the back, yeah. which is kind of a it's kind of cute. You know, I think it would be adorable <laughs> if they just finished it all off and they cut out all of their teeth except for the front two, and then were little <laughs> baby bibs because I think they're a cute little baby. You know. <laughs> I did not realize they were part of the Hindu religion, though. Mm-hmm. So the, did you find it? Where did you grow up at? Um, I grew up in Mundelein, Illinois. Very small town. So I assume they didn't have like a Hindu chapel for you to go pray to? Um, I mean, there was one. You just had to drive far away. Like they had, um, they had these classes, but they were on the same day as um, soccer practice. So I used Uh-oh. to like, and I wanted to be a professional soccer player when I was little. So I took it really seriously. So my mom let me not go to these religious classes. 
So she allowed you to uh, skip the religion uh, in place of soccer. Yes. That's very nice of her. See, that's extremely <laughs> progressive, though, isn't it, to have your daughter be uh, well, playing sports? I would assume that your mother grew up in a culture where women didn't necessarily go out there and, and have dreams and aspirations to become no. professional soccer players. I mean, maybe not professional soccer players. I mean, but nobody takes female athletics seriously. I love the WNBA. <laughs> I'm a big WNBA guy. When I, really? I, Mike, That's don't awesome. look at me like that, Mike. I, I've gone to, I've gone to WNBA. Well, I've gone to Knicks games, which is about the same. <laughs> um, but I love the WNBA, and I would go watch more WNBA games because it reminds me of the good old days when white people were still able to play. <laughs> And because there's not a lot of dunking, and there's some great passing, and every now and again you see a layup that will blow your mind. That's hilarious. I love it. So you wanted to be a pro soccer player. Yeah, when I was really little. I mean, the thing with my mother is she's very progressive, but she still, it's almost like she was fighting with herself while she was raising me. Right. Like, it was very weird, the shit she would do, because she was always trying to be supportive, but she hated everything I was doing. So, like, like for... Like, she bought me, okay, so I wanted this Victoria's Secret bikini when I was in high school. Okay. And I was like, oh, I really want that. And she's like, she bought it for me. But then she was like, if you wear this, you are going to look like a fucking whore. And if I see you wearing this, I'm going to get very upset. And if your father sees this, I will kill you. I was like, why did you just buy this for me? <laughs> like, she was just, like, she, would all, she was supportive and unsupportive at the same time. It was insane. Right. I think that that's a very common situation when it comes to parents from... Uh, you know, from not not from America, the first, you know, the immigrant parent. It's the same thing with my father. He came from Germany. It's a different culture. And they, they don't know exactly how to uh, raise their children American. Yeah. So they're like, oh, Victoria's Secret. Okay, I guess that's what they do here. Yeah. So I don't want my daughter to be all weird <laughs> and not have the Victoria's Secret like everybody else. So my dad was the same way when it came to, like, what he perceived American culture to be, especially when it came to, like, masculinity, which is so ironic because... My brothers are very gay. They can't get enough of this stuff. <laughs> and then there's me. And, uh, you know, so he failed miserably. He did not He did not gauge the masculinity of his sons very That's well. That's so funny. So when did you fall in love with the idea of doing stand-up comedy? I think when or I... Or even, like, any comedy. Because I never... I was not a big stand-up fan growing up. Me neither. It wasn't until... Okay, so kind of what you were talking about. My mom didn't know how to raise me, so she was just, like, just... Go be free with the white people. Like, that's literally what happened. She was like, just went <laughs> around with Trevor. And uh, I didn't learn anything about my culture. I didn't go to the religious classes. Right. Um, and I knew, like, bits and pieces. Like, to this day, the only Hindi I can speak is threats because that's all my mother spoke to me. Like, that's, that's all you need. <laughs> What's a Hindi threat? Um, that means I'm going to slap you. Um, Gadi means car. So I just know if I hear the word car, I'm supposed to be in it. Like, I'll just run. <laughs> That's so funny. Like, I know little bits and pieces. I know when to duck uh, is basically all I know about Hindi. Like, yeah. that's it. Um, so, and then when we moved to a bigger neighborhood, there were all these Indian kids, and they were looking at me like I was some monster because I didn't know shit. Like, I think one right. of them, like, asked me what state the Taj Mahal was in, and I was like, I don't even fucking know what state the Empire State Building is in. Can we start there? Like, I went, this right. is public school. Like, why am I supposed to know? Like, yeah. if the Taj Mahal is not an Indian buffet in Wisconsin, <laughs> I don't know what it is or where it is. Exactly. It was just like, so they got, they were looking at me like I was this, and they like, they kind of, I've always felt like I wasn't a part of them. I always felt really weird, and I didn't fit in with the white people because I was brown, and then the brown people didn't like me because I didn't know shit about being brown. Right. And then it was like this no man's land, and that was right around the time this clip from Russell Peters um, which, if you don't know, a famous Indian comic, like, blew up. It went viral yeah. on the internet. And all Indian quits were quoting him, and everyone was, like, obsessed with him. That's and- his fan base. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've seen Russell Peters as, like, world famous, and I've seen his entire um, routine, and I-, I never quite understood why he was famous, but that's why. Yeah, it's like all the, um, it's like Indians from India, like, and, like, oh, you know, okay. Asians and stuff, like, they love him. Gotta get um, into it. <laughs> But they were obsessed with him, so I was like, oh, and I really didn't have any friends. I was so unpopular. I was so awkward. I didn't right. want to talk to people. And I was like, oh, if I could be like Russell Peters, the Indians will finally like me. People like funny people. I'll have friends. I'll know yeah. have a conversation. Like, it was just like this thing. And so I started, like, I literally was female Russell Peters for a long time. Just a lot of race, a lot of accents I couldn't do. It was so bad. <laughs> it was terrible. And then... um I think what made me stop doing that was um, there was this place, because I was underage when I started. I was 17, and it was there was this place called Pressure Cafe. Okay. That was in a very Indian part of Chicago. 
And so these Indians would come in and they would fill the room every now and then. And I would just be doing these Indian jokes in front of them and they would just sit there stone faced. Right. And I would just die in front of my people week after week. And I'm like, they know you don't know what you're talking about, bitch. Like they know you want to be a soccer player. Like there was just mm-hmm. very. <laughs> and so that kind of pushed me to figure out who I was and what I wanted to say, which is the first time really anyone asked me. Like, that's the first time I really felt like I had a voice, you know, because like growing up in an immigrant family, you're told who to be the entire time. Right, right. And so like that was the first time where I asked myself, well, what do I think? Like, it was just such a simple question um, that it's kind of sad that it took me that long to ask myself. No, I mean, 17, that's a fairly young age to ask yourself who I am and what I think. uh, That's that is uh, certainly not. That is, that's a good time. That's a good time to start asking yourself what what opinions you have. Pressure Cafe. That's an appropriate name. It sounds like it was definitely a lot of pressure. It was. Um. Yeah. It's funny because I I murdered. Like I killed the room my first set, and then I just yeah. bombed for like a year straight after that. It's pretty standard that people do very well yeah, their first time. There's something about the. Um, I don't know what it is. There's. I guess that's sort of like the comedy gods giving you like your first little push out of the tree. Yeah. And then you you know you start to fly a little bit, and then the storm comes, and you realize how miserable <laughs> and difficult it is. And they're like, "Well, you know." But yeah, I, 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 most people I think tend to do fairly well their first time. It's funny when you, but watch you also get that caveat bomb, a lot of times. Yeah, their first time, and you're like, "Ooh, are you going to come back here? Probably not. Well, good for you. You're going to be an accountant. You'll have health insurance." Like every time I watch someone yeah. die the first time, I'm like, "Oof!" Thank God, that's great. <laughs> good for you. Get out. Get out now. Exactly. Never come back. Never come here. So did your parents know that you were going to these stand-up shows underage? Um, they took me to my first one because, like I said, I'm from a small town, so I was going to go into Chicago to try- do this open mic because my, uh, my history teacher told me about it. I actually wanted to be a comic since I was 16, so I spent a year writing jokes because okay. I didn't think I could get on stage. And then he mentioned something about like underage people in a cafe, and now he went to this open mic, and then I asked him after class. And I was like, I'm going to this. And all my friends were like, you can't go to the big city by yourself. And so I told my parents... And they came with me to the first open mic. And um, there's this comic who's really funny, but he was doing a joke about monkey rape and like their monkey tits and stuff. And um, my parents were like, you are never going to come back and do comedy. And uh, (laughs) the host, like as we were leaving, was like, hey, are you guys going to come back? And my father stood up and was like, no, she has to attend John Hopkins University. And they walked out. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's hilarious. The fate of your comedy career was nearly derailed by a bad monkey tit (laughs) joke. That's comedy for you. But I just kept going and lying and saying I was going to parties and stuff. It was like, if you've seen the movie Bennett like Beckham, it was a lot like that. That is so funny. So your parents would have been more than happy. Usually when kids lie, they're like, I'm going to the coffee shop to do some spoken word. And then they, they go to a party. And you're like, I'm going to go rage and do a bunch of Molly or whatever the drugs <laughs> were back then. And your parents are like, okay. And then they find you. <laughs> Sober, stone cold sober in a coffee shop trying to tell jokes for strangers. You rebellious youth. That's amazing. So then did you end up going to John Hopkins University? No, because I didn't want to pay the fucking tuition. Oh, your parents were going to pay for you? No, no. Oh, well, then you don't get to tell me where to go to college. (laughs) I went to the University of Pittsburgh. Because they gave me an academic scholarship. So you were very smart and stuff like that in high school. Oh, yeah. No, I was like a golden child of uh, my high school and everything. So I really fucked up my life. (laughs) You mentioned golden child. I just thought of that another Eddie Murphy movie (laughs) when he puts the spoon in the rice pudding and it's full of blood. Do you remember that? (laughs) One of the greatest scenes of all time. Right. There's blood in the rice, but there's blood in the pudding. And I, I, you know, I haven't had rice pudding since. So, did you do comedy uh, at Pittsburgh also? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's where you, uh, I mean, obviously, out of your parents, out of your parents' reach, were you able to like expand your ideas and uh, your your different uh, points of view and things? I was, but it was hard because it was Pittsburgh. Like, there's not a lot happening there. So at first I was only getting up twice a week and then I went to New York for a summer and I saw how much you could get on stage and what it was. And then I started um, like it was just so hard because initially I didn't have a car. So I was taking buses and doing music mics and like being and I had like a fake ID to get into these bars and stuff. So it was just like it was so hard to get on. stage. I was still doing it. And I eventually was able to get on stage 10 to 14 times. But it was so it was like 10 to 14 times like a week. Yeah. It's a lot of times. Oh, in Pittsburgh? Yeah. So Good I was. God. Like, I know. I didn't know there were ten to fourteen venues in Pittsburgh. <laughs> I know it was all. They were. Were you playing like the Arby's? What were you doing? <laughs> ten to fourteen shows a week in Pittsburgh. I was doing a lot of um, music mics too, and the thing is, like, how's the Pittsburgh music scene? Um, it's all right. Yeah. 
I mean, and the, the good thing is, like, a lot of comics in Pittsburgh aren't really motivated to do that because whoa, they're not. Whoa, 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 wait, whoa. Wait, Let's wait. not shock it's alert. True. Shock alert. <laughs> I believe you. A Pittsburgh comedian. <laughs> yeah, I assure you they're not motivated to do a lot of things except for tell their future ex-wife that they're a comedian. <laughs> Why'd you leave? You'll, 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 be, you'll come back when I'm famous. And But, like, no. they never leave Pittsburgh. Well, it's just you like, cannot live in Pittsburgh and be motivated to do comedy. <laughs> it is an impossibility. I mean, there's some good, there's some great comedy. It's just like when there's no industry pressure, people aren't like even Chicago what is to it? a lesser extent. There isn't. Hmm? At least Chicago, at least Chicago, I mean, you know, has a has a bit of a scene. If you're doing yeah. stand up comedy for 30 years in Pittsburgh, you're, you never did stand up comedy for a day in your life. <laughs> Who cares if you're doing stand up comedy in Pittsburgh and you never leave? If there's no industry, if there's no if there's no business to support comedy it doesn't exist that's exactly what i mean like there's it all has to be self-motivated there's no pre- like in new york there's a lot of pressure there's a lot of competition in la there's that pressure in a different way so it's just like in pittsburgh there people weren't like why would i go torture myself go to a music bank with a bunch of music musicians hating me right. so because there weren't other comics doing that i was able to do that where they weren't like oh god because music mics in new york they're like oh fuck a comic wants to get on stage no fuck you because like there's a million comedians who have already tried to do that Right, and of course, you know, the music mics in uh, here in New York, I was just at a music show the other night, they were, oh, I wasn't at it, they were performing before my show there at Sidewalk Cafe, which is the second Friday of every month at 9pm, <laughs> um, and it was a musician, he was a pianist, and he was fairly good, but uh, he finished off his set with a slow jam version of the lit song, I don't even know the name of the song, but a car's in the front yard, and he's just like, and I got too drunk last night, and I, you know, probably, you know, urinated or beat his girlfriend or something like that. What's the name of that lit song, Mike? I'm my own worst enemy. He And he was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah, he did a slow jam version of that, and I said, that song needs to be spit, spun up, speeded up, and have lit sing it, bro. <laughs> So the musicians in New York are a little bit more pretentious than the Pittsburgh musicians. <laughs> yeah, because they're just nobody was bugging them. So they're like, oh yeah, why not? We never get this. And I was like a tiny female, so they weren't like really off put. Right. By by um, letting me get on stage, so I was able to get up. But it was like, dang, because I was like, I would be at these crazy bars late at night. I didn't have a car. Sometimes and you I weren't was, really drinking or anything. No, I didn't. I would have. Um, oh, you know what? This is really dark, but it's funny to me. Um, but I didn't have a car, so I would take rides from people back from the bar and stuff, and like. I would just get myself into trouble, and I didn't even realize. It's like, you know in the cartoon where they'll have, like, a baby, like, crawling around a construction site, and, like, anvils and shit are just falling all around? Right. Like, that was me in Pittsburgh. Like, I just didn't even understand how much danger I was putting myself in, because I was so naive. Like, there was this guy who is a uh, a date rapist, according to his friends, <laughs> which is great that they still hang out with him. Yeah, of course. Um, no, but apparently he would, like, try and get girls really fucked up and then take advantage of them. And he was, like, he would always hang out with me. And the thing is, like, I never really wanted to drink. So he was trying to become my friend and trying to, like, coax me into drinking. And, um, which is funny because it never really worked out for him. Like, something kept coming up or something kept getting in the way. Right. So, like, he just had to be my friend for a year. <laughs> when right. it turns out, I think he was just, according to his friends, he was just trying to rape me, which is really fucked up. But, like, he would just, like, he would come and, like, call me and ask how it was and bring me Red Bull in the morning. Be like, this is a day. We're going to go take you out drinking. And then one day he did take me out drinking. But, um, his like, the guys at the bar saw him and they made me go take the bus back with this other dude. They're like, go home with that guy because he's going in the same direction. They're like, do not walk with him. And mm-hmm. I was really fucked up and I was like, this is weird, but okay. So well, That's like, great. A little bit of India right there in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Although the bus was your safe haven, which is kind of the opposite. Uh, so if the, everybody knows that he's a date rapist, why isn't he arrested? Well, I guess because they can't prove it. Because uh, I don't know. Right. But um, he did eventually join the military, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> well, if he wants to rape brown women, they'll send him to a country where he, where he can do it. I promise you that. But it was just, um, yeah, no, it was, I just think it's funny that this dude was, if, I don't know if it's true or not, this is right. what his friends told me, if he was just trying to rape me, I think it's hilarious that he had to have conversations with me and buy me stuff and be really friendly with me, because he yeah. was, like, grooming me to be a victim and it never worked out. He was just a really cool friend. <laughs> as far as, uh, yeah, as far as sexual assault stories go, you really, you, you won. I know. You beat the rapist, the unrapeable <laughs> Suba Argawal. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> well... That happens. We've all been raped before. <laughs> I promise you that. Um, well, that's it. Uh, so then you were in Pittsburgh, and what were you studying there at the university? Um, actuarial mathematics. Which one? <laughs> uh, actuarial mathematics. There's a different kind of mathematics? Yeah. What's actuar- actuarial? It's like basically it's math. How dumb am I? What is <laughs> no. that? Mike, you ever heard of that? 
What exactly? Actuarial? No, that's not a word. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) It's not a word. It's not a noun. It's nothing. It's nothing, right? Yeah, it's nothing. For sure. What is it? Um, It's basically, it's math with a focus on finance. So you're basically studying to become an actuary. um, Oh, I see. So actuaries, like they work, a lot of them work on insurance companies, which is like the stable route to go. Or you can kind of go heavier on the finance and end up working on Wall Street, but then you're working crazy hours and it's really stressful. Right, um, right, right. But you have to take like a million licensing exams. It's such a pain in the dick. And you did all this? Um, I took three licensing exams because like it would take me years. You you start working for a company while you're finishing out your licensing. Oh, my God. And so you did that? Were you working for the company? And how did that make you feel? Uh, when I first came to New York, yes. But the reason I did it was because I knew if I was an actuary, I could get a job in New York and someone would pay me to move to New York. So that's ah, why I did okay. it. Um, and so they did pay me to move to New York and, um, it was a nightmare cause they give you days off work where you're supposed to be studying to do the exams and right. I would just sleep in and do comedy. So I'm like, they're going to fire me eventually. Like they're going to figure out I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And um, did they fire you? No, I quit. I quit cause I didn't want to get fired. So I quit before. That's a good call. And they were all shocked. They were like, you're quitting to do what? To do co-? They were like, you're going to, st- what? Like it just blew everyone's mind. And, um. What did your parents think when you quit that job? Oh, I mean, was they, the world over to them? They were pretty upset, but they kind of knew. Yeah. They knew, like I wasn't gonna keep doing it. So it just seems like you're using a bunch of you're using the date rapist for Red Bulls. <laughs> you're using this Fortune 500 company to do stand up. You're a user. You're an abuser. It's true. I totally use the shit out of that Fortune 500 company, but they made me give back my signing bonus, which I didn't know was gonna happen. So oh, that's really bullshit. Painful. You should have kept it. You should have kept it. I was like crying on the street. I'm like, how much money do you want back? Like, I was just in tears. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, so you just hit the ground running when you got here, too. You were one of those like four open mics a night person, yeah. and uh, you were just like kicking major ass all around. And you were pretty much, is there another, what are, what are, what, who do you, as far as like, you know, growing up, obviously there was Russell Peters, but was there a female comedian that you looked up to? Um, um, Maria I, Bamford. Maria Bamford. But there was no, there was no other like, um, Indian female comedian, or is it? Does it even exist? Um, there's a few. But does of it? Us. Does does Indian? Does a female Indian comedian exist before <laughs> Suba Argawal? I'm sure there are always a few. Yeah. And I mean, now I mean, it wasn't when I was growing up. But Mindy Kaling, I mean, she's not. A comedian, oh, I love but Mindy. She's in the media more as like a comedic, like somebody who works in comedy. And yeah, there was a great, scene. a great Charlie Rose with Mindy, and uh, check that one out. <laughs> I love Charlie Rose. He's the best interviewer of all time. Um, so you quit that job when you when you got here, and how many uh, how long did you have the job for? Oh God, not long at all. Um, I think I was only working there for like four months. I just didn't like the pressure. Like I didn't give a shit, and everyone around me could tell I didn't give a shit. And right. then like when there's that much money involved, they don't like that you don't give a fuck. Like they get totally, really pissed. Yeah. Even though I was doing my job, like I wouldn't write anything down in the meetings, but it's because I could remember it. And so my boss would come up and be like, what's the answer to this? And I'd be like, I know it. She's like, well, you should still be writing it down. I'm like, all right, bitch, get off my ass. Like, I mean, it just of- seems like we have a super, like a, um, uh, a, um, oh my God, a Clark Kent and Superman type situation happening. By day, you're just working in finance and doing all this <laughs> stuff for this company. And then by night, you're a superhero on stage. So you were sort of living two lives. Were you still, were you a virgin when you came to the city? Yeah. So you were like just strangely innocent in a, in a way. You've been on stage in front oh, of hundreds yeah. of people, but yet uh, you're still a virgin. Oh, yeah. I mean, the city, New York, completely changed who I was. Like, it just completely, yeah. like, broke all innocence and all... I mean, I'm still a good person, but it took away a lot of my sweetness. Like it just, like, yeah, 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 just completely because it was just like I was so sheltered. Like Pittsburgh was like a little taste, and it kind of got me on my feet a little bit. But New yeah. York just like crushed me. And then, I mean, I, I how mean, did I, New York like, crush you? I just went through everything horrible that right. they say is going to happen in New York. Um, I don't want to get too into it, but I had a lot of dark shit happen, and like, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just like a really rough patch. Um, when you first got here, because you didn't know anybody, right? I didn't know anybody, and I was naive, and I was like a young woman who was here by herself. And I right, got right. into a ton of trouble. Well, what and, was something that you were doing? Because I know when I first got out here, I didn't know anybody either. I came out here with $1,500. I got a place in bed in eight hours. And this is like <laughs> nine years ago, bed So it wasn't like 20 years ago, bed but it wasn't like current day yeah. bed either. It was pretty dangerous, but I'm a six foot seven white guy, and a lot of people think I'm an undercover cop, <laughs> even though I've probably been arrested more than all of them. 
Um, so I got this place, and I'll never forget it. I got this super small bedroom that I could touch up with, uh, you know, I'm, uh, if I extended my arms, I could touch both walls. But I'm huge, too. So it was, it was a 20 by 20 room. You know, pretty nice. No, it was like a 6 by 6. It was awful. And I fell back on what I thought was a bed, um, and I put my arms out, and it was my Scott Stapp moment. You know, from Creed, I put my arms out and I was like, I'm made in New York. And I fell back and it turns out it was just a box spring. And then I threw my back out and the night I had to go work as a bar back to make money. And it was like, welcome to New York. You know, so I was like in an immense amount of pain and everything was miserable. And the, the city is huge when you first get here. Yeah. So you just fell into some typical pitfalls. Yeah. It was um like, I mean... I'll say a couple of them. I won't say all of them. But, like, one of them, this guy followed me into my building. Oh, my God. And yeah, I had to fight him. It was fine because um, he was really wasted, and I managed to fight him enough for him to leave me alone. Right, right. Um, but from there, I got, like, a little bit of PTSD, and it took me a while to right. figure out I had PTSD. I had no idea what was going on. Like, I just thought everyone was following me now. <laughs> it was yeah, like, you were getting gang stalked. Yeah, and then, like, it's so funny because, like, all my white friends were trying to be, like, super supportive, and they were like, oh, you know, well, you know, it's just, it could be, you know, the city's crazy. And then, like, I have one friend who was just like, yeah, I think you're crazy. And then when he said that, I was like, oh, you're right. Like, and then it just, like, everything got, like, a million times better. Yeah. And then Oh, so it was, you were getting, like, crippled by it. Yeah, it was just like, it would be like, I didn't want to be afraid of it. Cause like my mother always told me, it was like, if you go to New York, you're going to get raped. Don't come crying to me. Like that, she would just always say that shit to me. Little so. did your mother know about your track record with, <laughs> with rapists. You are one and oh. You are crushing the rapists. <laughs> I didn't want her to know. Like I didn't want her to be right. right. So I was always pushing myself. Like I went out right the night after that. But like I called this other comic like from the subway station because I was so afraid to walk home. Like I was just like it's shaking. brutal. Yeah, so it took me a little bit to get over that. And then right after that, I got um, I slept with this dude, who you know the story. He bruised my vagina and gave me bed bugs. Um, well, I don't know this story. You, you totally know the story about. I me. don't think I do. <laughs> bed. I mean, honestly, I both. But about me having to go to the hospital for a sex injury, you know. Yes. That. Okay, I know that story. Yeah. I mean, you left out the bed bugs part, which dare I say <laughs> is worse. I mean, you it can is. probably tell it's me more, worse. but yeah, I feel like I would much rather have any physical pain. Oh yeah, I would uh, much rather bruise my vagina. <laughs> what were you doing? Didn't you know the man had bed bugs? No, he didn't tell me. But you got to look at a person and know they got the bugs. No, you can't tell. Oh my god, I don't know. I feel like if I, ooh, I don't know. So he. Oh, that's difficult. He just had, what, a massive penis, or he was just all wrong was, with it? Um, Both. <laughs> call me, call me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was just such a nightmare, because I had, I was still recovering from PTSD, and I had to wake up really morning. And, and this was, is your um, virginity story? Uh, No, no. This was the second dude I slept with. But the and, second uh, dude you slept yeah. with gave you bed bugs? And, uh, Supo, Bruno. you have to call me. Why don't you <laughs> send me a message when this happens? What is wrong with oh you? Oh, my God. We need to take a picture of everybody that you're about to have sex with, send it over to me, and I'll tell you if they have bed bugs or not. And they all do. How are you talking to a man? Well, the ego on this guy. You know what's really the funny? The ego on this guy. I was that, set up with him by two comedians. That's the of funny Of course. Part. Why would you listen to comedians about anything in life? Comedians are terrible at life. By definition, the vast majority will never succeed. They're going to be poor in a nursing home. Telling dookie jokes about how they just shat themselves and like, the nurses are going to laugh really awkwardly. Nice friend. <laughs> Is he a comedian, the bed bug guy? No, he was a DJ. He was a DJ? Yeah. A DJ with DJ bed bugs? If that's not his DJ name, I'm livid. He's lying to everybody. I'm DJ Flashlight. I'm DJ Neon Car. Fuck you. You're DJ bed bugs with an awkward penis that you don't know how to use right. What happened? So you went to the doctor. They diagnosed you well, with a vagina that was no longer well, having a good time. Here's the thing. And then they also told you you had bed bugs. Well, they didn't tell me. I figured that out the next day. Oh. I um I went there and they were like, I was like, I was in so much pain. I was like sweating. I was almost blacking out. And she's like, we have to take a sonogram to make sure you didn't have anything ripped. And I was still under my mother's insurance. And I was like, I'm not sending her that bill. There's going to be too many questions. So I just walked out of the hospital. Oh, no. Like, so you have so many fears going on in yeah, your and life. Yeah, I was like, it just kind of healed eventually on a own um like, jesus christ suba i'm like i'm not gonna how, how would i explain a sonogram bill to my mother who still thinks i'm a virgin like call her and tell her that tell her about the experience <laughs> oh she didn't know any of that shit she would have um, made you come back to new york i mean that's the one thing if you are parents out there um don't do what uh what suba's mother did or what my parents did in a lot of ways either you have to be able to be cool enough so when terrible things occur in your children's life they have the uh the um 
they have the uh, the uh, confidence to call you and know that you're not going to ream them a new asshole because yeah. in your situation, it seems like you already kind of got reamed a new one <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, and like Awful. I just I told her about the bed bugs though. Um, oh, that's good. And how was her reaction to that? She's like, "Where did you get them?" I was like, "I don't know, movie theater." Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were was, in the popcorn. She, <laughs> she was like, "She's like, do you want us to come to New York? We're gonna take care of you." And I was like, "No, you're not." And then they're Indian, and I don't know like if bed bugs are a thing in India, but apparently, like when you get bed bugs in India, it's so hot out, you just put your shit on the roof and they die. So oh, it's that's like amazing. not a big deal to them. They're like, oh, who gives a shit? That's fine. Like and nothing like, kills bed bugs, <laughs> but you're telling me just the Indian sun will <laughs> in New York. If you get bed bugs, people treat you like you have a nineteen, like a. 1400s like plague yeah, like they crazy. don't even go anywhere near you and you're it's in quarantine like no one wanted to touch me i was feeling so alone and i still had ptsd and i was working 7 a.m shifts at my job at the time so i would have to go this is still at the with the finance job or? no this is another job who i can't say because i still work there okay me. um but i um i would bring my laundry to the laundromat down the street i would have to walk down the street when it was pitch black out at like four in the morning and like lo- like put my stuff in the dryer to make sure to kill anything if there were any bugs and then i would put my clothes on and go to work and like this is having to walk out at that hour that it was just such a fucking nightmare oh so it was awful so bad and that's not even the worst of some of the shit that i went through but it was just like uh and then eventually i got my bearing um but it's weird that dude um having to fight for myself because like i was screaming so i'm like someone in the building had to have heard me. oh well you were having sex with this guy no no, no while i was getting attacked <laughs> oh this is during yeah. so this is and, and while you were getting attacked this is you had just been here for like what three weeks a month or so no at that point where was i, I was still in astoria so probably within the year okay so yeah. a pretty rude awakening, like a pretty rude, like, welcome to <laughs> welcome New York. Welcome to New York. Uh, we were all out of fruit baskets, so we sent this dude. <laughs> yeah. So you were screaming in the hallway and no neighbors Nobody came out. Came. That's the weirdest thing about New York, and it's happening more and more. I mean, we just had the footage of the woman getting her ass kicked in McDonald's. I mean, near death. Yeah. Everyone just started filming it and uh, or cheering it on nobody helps anybody anymore it's yeah. absolutely insane and it's weird, like but that pushed me to get on my feet and be more independent and stand up for myself which is important because my entire life i've been a pushover and i've been a pussy so it, like right of, it was weird because it wasn't good because it made all that anger i had been holding in from years of getting bullied come out all at once and it was in like, that situation when yeah. you were fighting off this attacker yeah it was like this like this valve broke and everything i've been holding in from my childhood just came out like i was a lunatic i was so angry all the time like i was screaming at people in this streets like if they um like i chased neil constantine who was a comedian down the street with a cordless mic because i was trying to beat his ass he was being so rude though like i jumped off like i was just so angry like i slapped two dudes in the face at one point like i was just like all this all this rage from everything that i had been holding in and like i eventually learned how to like i think i found like a healthy balance now but right right so yeah so after the after the uh after the attack you sort of um, and it's bad because I'm so tiny. So when I get angry, people encourage it because they think it's so funny because my right. voice gets high pitched, like, and I'm cussing with a Midwest accent. Like, it's not good. So people are right. seeing me lose my shit and they're loving it. Like, I jumped off stage at an open mic and chased Neil Constantine down the street with the cordless mic trying to beat him, and everyone was dying laughing. Like, it was so bad. That's your new closer. You just <laughs> Neil Constantine's a comedian here in New York City. I'm not sure how much he does it, but he's a nice guy. And uh, he was also, he plays a cop in the uh, show Friends of the People. He's in a sketch yeah. there, and I, was, I worked with him on a shoot uh, for Friends of the People. Neil Constantine's a great fella. But yes, I'm assuming that he said some insensitive things. Well, a lot no. of these comedians uh, in the open mics, they, they misconstrue jokes for just being like extremely blatantly racist <laughs> or homophobic or sexist. And then hopefully, eventually, they can hone the, that into he a didn't joke. Do that. It's just that we were performing in this restaurant that had this clear glass window. So Charlie was standing, O's? No, it was no. Um, this weird, the happiest place. It was like this weird sushi spot. And the happiest went, place? I don't remember. That mm-hmm. was Happy World or something yeah and he was coming up behind me because it was clear glass and like making bunny ears and doing shit behind me and ruining my set and i told him to stop three times and then he and wouldn't you had stop. just fought off an attacker in a hallway <laughs> and you're like you don't even want to know what you're messing with right I know. now and then he wouldn't stop and i was like that's it because he turned his back when i was yelling and i was like don't you turn your back on me and i jumped off stage with the cordless mic i started chasing him down right i was just like and i couldn't catch him he's so much faster than me do you <laughs> think your parents would have let you stay in new york if you would have shared your um the uh terrible traumas or would they would have, oh, they would have no. picked you up immediately they would have i mean they they would have lost their shit if they knew any of what i was going through yeah and did you ever pursue any charges against this person 
Um, I did, but cops are the fucking worst. Yeah. I really mean that. Like, what was that experience like? I know I did a grand jury duty at uh, in Kings <laughs> County, which is uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, it was similar to your situation. Apparently, this is just something that um, terrible human beings, men do. He, a, a guy followed this woman into her hallway, and they had it all on surveillance camera. And the next day, the, uh, the Hasidic um, landlord watched the footage found the woman they actually got her to be like hey watch this tape and then she came forward after the cops told her to wow everyone was so much more supportive than what happened to my ass yeah i'm excited to hear about it because it was very interesting so we watched this full 20 minute attack and it wasn't uh nearly as bad as it could have been because she ended up um you know uh kicking him uh, enough to get him out of there um but there was a lot of people and i'm going to say the non-whites in the room um (laughs) a lot of jamaican and uh you know different kind of different cultures that treat women um, that have a different standard for how do they treat women. Why was she out so late at night? Like that question yeah. was posed. Why was she wearing such a short dress? Like the most cliche, ridiculous questions. And then I had to stand up pretty much and scream that, uh, you know, how she should be allowed to be naked in the streets and all these things. <laughs> and then I had another, that was like on day one. And then I had another two weeks oh, and everyone God. just thought I was the big weird or the big angry white dude, which is a good <laughs> thing to be known as actually in, in a jury room it turns That's out funny. but what was your uh what was the police reaction in your case well for one thing like they showed up and like i i was kind of an idiot because like i was coming back from the creek it was super late at night and the creek in the cave a great stand-up club here in new york city or long island city yeah it's great and i uh, i stopped to get groceries because the grocery store is right by the train and i didn't want to wake up in the morning and do it so right. i was just like i literally looked like a fucking lifetime movie like i was carrying groceries at like fucking four in the morning or some shit and like pitch black by myself and I hear um, so it's like yeah, that all happens and there's groceries flying everywhere like it literally looks like a lifetime fucking movie what did he and, hear um, he made some noise or something well, oh when I was walking he kicked a can and in my head I was like what if this guy is following me and then I was like you're being ridiculous and yeah, then it does I, sound like a lifetime movie kicking does. cans was he like flipping a coin by a light <laughs> well he was just very drunk so he was yeah. stumbling um, and then I go into my building and I like kind of rushed because I'm getting a little nervous. And I was right. kind of holding the door and looking to see if he was following me. And he co- he's covered up the steps. And I'm holding the door shut like with all my strength as much as I can. And he's pushing in. And this is what I think made him push the door. And in my head, there was like a 30 seconds where I was like, what if he lives here? Like, wouldn't I be the biggest racist bitch on the face of the planet? And he pushes the door in. And then like the groceries are flying everywhere. He mm-hmm. pushes me against the wall, grabs my chest. And I'm like... I just have my arms out the entire right. time because I'm just like, oh, God, don't touch me. You're disgusting. And I'm just like, that's not how you're supposed to fight at all. But I have my arms out and I'm just kicking. Like, that was what I was doing. This is the problem. Ladies, never worry about being called racist. <laughs> Be called racist all the time if it means you don't get r- to meet a rapist. Don't worry about being called racist. If you don't want to let a guy into the building, he'll figure his way in after you leave if he truly lives there. That is so funny. The political and this is not a uh, a unique phenomenon. There is so much crime that is able to occur because people are too politically correct to stand up for themselves and they're concerned that somehow <laughs> they're going to do something against the uh, the liberal agenda that uh well, we better. We just don't know. It's like no, you have to protect yourself. It's New York City, and this city, ironically, turns you into Charles Bronson. Like, oh, you come to this city, and you're like, I want to be Chris Farley, and you leave this city like, I will shoot you with this Magnum. I do not give a shit. But um, I ended up. We ended up fighting. It's the whole thing, and then um, I get out of the hallway. You kicked his ass, though. No. Um, I barely, barely. I'm so lucky he wasn't swinging at me or trying to knock me out. Like, he was yeah. just trying to get me on the ground. So, I actually, I was very fucking lucky because um, he was so much bigger than me. Big black um, dude? No, big, um, probably Mexican. Mexican type fella. Of Hispanic. Um, very Not Polish. Big. No. Not a Polish guy. No. Um, and, like, so I ended up getting out. Um, he walks out and he just decides to leave at one point. So, he walks out and I walk out of the hallway because I don't want to be trapped in there anymore. And I'm, like, crying. I'm calling the cops. And they come. They start asking me all these questions about, like, how he touched me and where he touched me. And did he manage to get, like, stuff off? And I'm, like, no. And they're, like, oh, okay. So this is forcible touching. I was, like, what? Like it Forcible was just, touching? That sounds it, like a punishment that a six, uh, a, a kindergarten kid gets. Yeah. So that's what they classified it as. They classified it as a forcible touching. And they made me sit in the cop car. It was so late. I had to go to work in the morning. I was so upset. I just wanted to go home. But they made me sit in the cop car while they did rounds to see if they could find him. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, yeah. And I hear them talking to themselves, like, 
like, yeah, we have to keep looking because we let that one lady go that one time and the attacker came back and we got in trouble. And I'm just sitting in the back seat like, what? Like, why yeah. are you saying that in front of me? And then like, um, so they're basically just doing it to cover their ass. So it's almost of like course. they don't even give a fuck about catching this guy. And they're like, you got to be more careful. And I'm like, fuck everyone. And then yeah. when the detective comes and they're like, oh my God, this fucking kills me. Okay, so like one thing, like, I wasn't being as proactive as I could have been because, like, I just wanted it to be over. But the detective calls me into her um, little p- precinct, I guess, that's way, way deep in Queens. And um, So it's like 6 a.m. at this point? Um, this No. Um, well, they dropped me off. It was really late. I think I slept for, like, two hours and had to go to work. Right. And then um, this is a little bit later. I think maybe the next day, but I had to go to the police station. And um, she's like, go through all these mug shots, pick out anyone, even if they're a little fatter or skinnier or older. Like, we're just trying to get a feel. So I pick out, like, people who kind of look. She's like, okay, so he has a rounded nose. We has this, he has that. He's like, see, the problem here is that you haven't narrowed in on one specific person. I was like, that's because you told me not to. Right. Like, and she made it look like it was my fault. Like, I was unreliable. Like, I couldn't pick him out. Which was just like, I'm like, everything you're doing is just to legally cover your ass. Like, I'm right. not an idiot. Like, I understand what you're doing here. And, like, apparently none of the videos cameras in the area worked like there was just nothing none that, of the video cameras worked. yeah so there's like no had no footage that door that he pushed open was supposed to lock at night but the landlord never fixed it great so it was just like a bunch of like my neighbors never came the police didn't give a fuck like it was just and i mean i'll vaguely address this like basically something happened between me and like an open mic comic and i came out against him and um it was like a gray area and like i had this reputation like people would make fun of me like oh you're the girl who cries this or that so i was just uncomfortable when was this this was um what do you mean when was this i don't remember i never heard of any of this oh no it was pretty bad i um it like made me suicidal because like people were making fun of me for something that had happened to me which was so this was after the actual okay so you had the you had an attack and then you had another questionable experience with a dude no no i had a questionable experience with a dude and then i told everybody and then like all the comics turned on me not all of them some of them were supportive let's not be over dramatic um but like some of the bigger names were like making fun of me at roasts and stuff and bringing that up and it's like if you know anything about the psychology of going through something you can't do that to somebody because you already feel so alone so this is the dude you lost your virginity to um, technically, but I don't really count that. Um, so yeah, so like, right. some, and he was just an open mic comedian. Yeah, and he told me because I'm like I don't like messing with comedians. He's like, oh, I'm more of a writer. I don't really do comedy anyway, which is like a lie. Um, like one of the many lies he told. But um, yeah, so it was like this huge thing. And he still does comedy now. Um, every now and then I'll see him. And so, how does that make you feel when you see him at these, uh, I suppose, open mics or shows? I just, um, I just don't want any more problems. I don't care. Is he older? Um, he's a little older. Not very old. You'll have to tell me who he is. No, I don't want any more issues. That's the thing is, like, I just don't want any more drama. I don't want that on my name. It's not a good look. You so know you had I mean? a date rape situation with an open mic comedian. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And uh, and then other open mic comedians just made fun of you for coming forward and saying that this happened. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that must have been extremely difficult for you because you didn't have your parents. Obviously, you couldn't tell your mother. And then your friends, who are only stand-up comedians, who are heartless pieces of shit, uh, they don't care. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why and then, you, like, when, what What drove you to keep on doing it? I mean, because I didn't have anything else. It's like, what else was I going to well, do? Well, you had your job. You have your you have your college degree. You can go but, be a, uh, what was that word again? A actuary. An actuary. <laughs> I mean, comedy, but comedy is the only thing I felt like that's what killed me the most. And that's what made me borderline suicidal was that. I felt like I didn't really have my family because they weren't supportive of who I was or like my right. thoughts. And then comedy was kind of like this other home to me. And then like it felt like that got cut off. And so it was just like I felt so alone. Like it right. was a very dark time. But um, I and now you had been in the city for about two years at this point. No, that was um, that was within the year. Okay. So Jesus, man, welcome, Je- welcome <laughs> to fucking New York. <laughs> exactly. It was just such a dark time. I made it through. It was fine. Yeah. I'm fine now. I'm a happy person. But um. So then, okay, so you had all these uh, experiences, but you just kept on plowing through, doing the open mics. Yeah, because it's like, it was just one of those things where I didn't want my mother to be right. I didn't want these things to get in my way. I didn't want anything to stop me from doing what I wanted to do. How did you mentally change it? And maybe you weren't even able to. I don't know. It's just a cliche that I'm about to say. But how do you turn, you know, tragedy into triumph? Like, how did you (laughs) mentally, um, you know, use that as fuel? Because... 
if you listen to like Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame acceptance speech, I think it's one of the greatest acceptance speeches of all time. All Michael Jordan does is go down a list of people who wronged him. That's and he's hilarious. just like, and I fucking proved you wrong. And I proved you wrong. And fuck you. And I'll never forget what I destroyed you. Even people that he just always beat, he was just like, and fuck you again. That's it so was funny. brilliant and I loved it. Um, how were you able to mentally transition? Because that does not happen overnight um, from being a victim no. to somebody who's just like, I'm just going to control this and uh, destroy everybody. Well, it's just one of those And, things. I mean, you have to destroy this person's career as soon as you have the power to do it. I'm, I don't know. If well, we'll, we'll make I'm sure just... you do. We'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Hilarious. No, it was just one of those things where, like, I had a lot of wonderful people in my life. Like, my boyfriend um, at the time, the guy who ended up dating me right after that, he was actually drawn to me because he could smell how depressed I was. And he, his oh, mother good. was depressed. And it was almost like he was trying to save her through me. Oh, yeah. It was super healthy. Um, but... It was very, Another comedian? Actually, yes. Oh, my God. Subo. Yeah, stop <laughs> he doesn't, it. He doesn't really do comedy anymore, though. Yeah, it doesn't sound like that um, seems to be a theme of most of the losers that you were dating. <laughs> um, but he ended up like, no, but he was good for me because he was very supportive. He was very loving. I had someone in my life. I mean, well, it seems like up. at this point, pretty much don't be a date rapist or a person <laughs> trying to break into your apartment and you're a good guy. The bar is fairly low at this point for suitable mates. <laughs> Um, he ended up going crazy, um, which was unfortunate while we were dating. Like, he had a manic episode, so it ended up being a nightmare. But at okay, the beginning... Get, get rid of him, too. I hate this guy. Subo, you have my number. I don't know if you had it back then, actually. I'm not sure if we were, I'm but, not sure if um, we were that close. He was good to me. Like, he just was very supportive, helped get me on my feet, helped being like, like, you don't need to be treated like this. You deserve better. You're beautiful. All these things. Like, he kept trying to, like, build me up. And so that was that was fine. So, like, Because just, at this point, because right now, I mean, people that... Uh, you know, as you get more and more successful and you're going to be extremely famous, they're going to see this beautiful, put together, gorgeous woman. But when you first got here, I mean, I, I mean, all of us, uh, when you first got here, you're not um, you're not quite as aware of how important appearance is for uh, for, you know, how how that um, how image really kind yeah. of um, is is so it's 95 yeah. percent of this business is all image. Um, so this is so at least he gave you some confidence when it came down to you physically feeling beautiful because I know a lot of your act was about how you didn't necessarily feel physically beautiful. Yeah, I mean I still struggle with that a lot. Well, you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> so that's fine. Yeah, it's very. Um, but uh, yeah, no. So I eventually like I'm trying to think about like what the turning point. It was just like a lot of pain and a lot of being like I want to be stronger than this. I want to get over this. And it's almost like every setback just taught me something. And it was like going through those experiences, like in hearing. I mean, just like a lot of dudes tell really stupid jokes or say really oh dumb God. things. It kind of made me empathize with um, women who had been through these things. And it's like, right. I gained a piece of wisdom from this. So it's one of those things where I wouldn't trade that wisdom for the world because I understand things in a way other people will never understand them. Right. Are so. you supportive of uh, female comedians, especially newer ones that you see on the scene mm -hmm. now? Do you try to uh, give them an olive uh, branch and reach out? I mean, I'm not a very social person in general, but I try to. You right. know what I mean? So, like, if I see someone new, I don't necessarily walk up to them and be like, "Hey, how are you?" Um, but like, anytime if any if any female ever talks to me, I'm always I'm 100% an open book. I'll take any phone call. Like, I had a, another friend who's a female comic go through something similar to what I went through with a, another man, and like, I was like 100%. I was like, "Talk to me, call me, I'll help you." Right. Um, so it's like I try to be open and available, but I'm in general, I'm just a quiet person. So. Right. But I mean, you were a pioneer uh, in a lot of ways. And so there wasn't that person for you. Yeah. So now you can be that person for somebody else, well, which is very nice. I don't necessarily do it if it's a grown woman. But if I see like a little teenage right. like female, I, I actually will go up to her and be like, hey, like talk to me. It's intense. I was just at a um, I was stumbling. I was walking home. Uh, <laughs> no, I was uh, entirely sober, but I was walking home and I saw this uh, open mic sign outside of a uh, bar called Alligator Lounge in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I went in. And I hadn't been to an open mic in a very long time, and I just like put my name in there because why not? I had nothing else to do. And uh, there was one female comedian. She was brought up as the female comedian, and <laughs> you could—I mean—and the the jokes. I forgot what open mic jokes were. Um. They are truly terrible. <laughs> they are just like uh, if the words were became truth, everyone in that room is a felon. You know, like <laughs> the way that they discuss, yeah. uh, you know, gender orientation, race, all these things. Um, and it's just these people trying to find their comedic voice. So you, I mean, some of these guys were like 45 years old and I was like, what are you doing? You're, you're never going to make it. Get, <laughs> there's a lot of depression, a lot of depravity and a lot of total douchebags at these open mics and people who will just never make it. You can, you can see that from a mile away. 
But it's difficult when you uh, when you uh, first start out, especially as a chick, where it's pretty dude central in a mm-hmm. lot of these open mics. Yeah, it's uh, that's one hundred percent true. So I always like. I'm also very friendly if someone talks to me. Right, um, and now with the uh, with the body issues, you're doing a lot better with that. Because I, I have a, I have uh, immense body issues. You know, I lost 160 pounds. I have a t- I want th- I'm going to get that body uh, contour surgery. Really? I want to, but I'm very terrified of dying like Kanye West's mother. Oh, <laughs> yeah. She died during a cosmetic surgery, and then everyone would be like, "How did Ben die?" And they'd be like, "Trying to look less <laughs> fat," and they'd be like, "But he's still going to look fat." And I'd be like, "Well, now I'm dead, so I can't even <laughs> defend myself." So I'm terrified. That's hilarious. I also want like. I'm like, I want plastic surgery, but I don't. What wanna, do you want to get? I don't want to say that. That's embarrassing. Why? Well, it would probably just be bigger boobs and a bigger butt. That would probably be it. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna. <laughs> but you don't need it. Thanks. You don't <laughs> need it. It's just like I mean, it's um, I wouldn't. But part of me just like philosophically doesn't want to do it because. It's to extremely me, dangerous for very... It, it's dangerous. One, I don't have the time to go get that done in, or the right. money. And also, I don't want to look like everybody else. To me, that's right. kind of frightening that we would go in and just alter ourselves to what like pretty much corporations have decided is hot right now. It, and exactly. And the key word is right now. We had Kevin Barnett in from Friends of the People. And um, we were talking about how... In the 80s, it was like no tits, no ass. Like that was considered <laughs> yeah. hot. And then the butts came in and now it's like big butts, big tits. But in, in like, I'm tell- paraplegics are going to be hot in 2023. <laughs> Everyone's going to be like, well, I love those chicks with no legs, with bionic uh, with bionic fingers and strange looking, you know, whatever it's going to be. So don't change yourself because then you're chasing and then you end up like Heidi Montag. Eddie Montag, a <laughs> uh, former reality star who was beautiful at 24, got a bunch of plastic surgery, and now she looks 45 and just like every other clone person in Hollywood. Exactly. And that's the thing is, like, I think there's so much beauty in diversity. And, totally. Because, like, I mean, I mean, it's just the way capitalism works, in my opinion. Like, I think the way capitalism and sociology, like, interact, because capitalism is basically a bunch of things competing, like, a bunch of monopolies happening. It's all, like, one image, one thing happening at a time. And right. So it kind of, it's like what you talk about, like the paradigm of beauty shifting and all that. And it's like, you're just conforming to that instead of, you have an opportunity to take what you have and be Mm -hmm. confident in it and make that beautiful. And then you're bringing something new to the world. And like, to me, I mean, I don't know if life has any meaning, but it's like, at least I've done something. Like I've figured out what I have and I've taken that and I've made it work. So I think Mm -hmm. that's like a unique thing that I can contribute to society and the world. You know it totally I mean? is. People are attracted to pillars. That's what that's what holds the building up is the pillar and people will come to you. That's the fear is when you start doing stand up the you know it's difficult to find your voice because you chase. Yeah. You chase what people want and you don't realize bugs go to the bug light because the bug light never changes and that's what people love to see. So you have your own strong personality. People will be drawn to you. And the people that aren't Fuck them, because that's not your. That's those aren't the people that are, it's, it's that are so going to be financing harder. your life. It is much much harder. But once you start, then you realize, you know, then you get super comfortable, and uh, and you you and you look back and uh, not in shame, but you're like, thank God I'm no longer chasing the, um, you know, this idea of what other people think is supposed to be funny and you know, yeah, funny or even like physically, like there are girls right. at my jobs who like will go. Too. I mean, I mean, they're um, they're Hispanic, so they know doctors in the DR that'll do shit for cheap. So they'll like go back and they'll get their ass implants, they'll get their boobs done, and like I'll see po- photos of them on Instagram at like All Star Weekend and shit, and like they'll have right. like thousands and thousands of followers on Instagram, and it's like, and I have five, and I'm like, oh god damn it, like it's just, oh they're all gonna have just... cancerous tumors and. <laughs> You know, when they're 45 years old, they're all going to be like, you know, plastic surgery fails because you got to get that shit upgraded constantly. I don't hate them for doing that. Um, no. I'm not mad at them. I think that's a choice. And it's like, I don't even know if it's my choice is better than theirs. It's just different. But it's just so frustrating because you're like, man, I could just go to the DR or some place in South India, I'm sure, and get like my butt pumped full of stuff and just get millions of Instagram followers. Like it's just so right, right, right. not to do that. But then what do you got? You know, you have a bunch of dudes who are just like jacking off to your photos <laughs> who don't give a shit. And then as soon as whatever, as soon as the next person comes along, along with the newest surgery, then they're the next hot thing. There's no longevity with it whatsoever. Yeah, I guess that's the argument for that shit. But it's just like it's hard not to be what already works. You know what I mean? I think that's what it comes down to. Like, oh, this is work. This is popular. I could just be what's popular. Right. Or I could try something and it it might not work. But I think there's some value in being able to do something different. Totally. 
I just that's all that's it you know that's it and that's the uh that's the whole lesson just you know figure (laughs) out who you are and stick with it and it's guaranteed to work that is it. You ha- I, don't, I don't know about guaranteed. It is guaranteed to work. It is guaranteed. It is guaranteed it, I'm telling you, I don't know anybody who has ever succeeded that isn't completely confident with who they are, regardless of their flaws um, and the things that, you know, were. Look at uh, Steve Buscemi. Everyone said, Buscemi, get them teeth fixed. <laughs> now that dude's rocking Boardwalk Empire. He's a kingpin. He's getting blown on television because he's got bad teeth. Everyone told him to fix. And now it's like, we love that dude with the terrible teeth. Stick with who you are. Um, that's the uh, that's the lesson of today's program. Um, thank you so much for being here, Suba. Yeah, of course. You're the best. You're beautiful. <laughs> unbelievably funny. Um, let's see. You're on Twitter, mm-hmm. and it's just uh, how do you? Uh, yeah, tell people how to find you on Twitter and stuff. Um, it's just my name, which is spelled S U B H A H. So like somehow you can find me on Twitter. Um, oh, but I'm, you're doing Instagram more. Yeah, it's just easier to pick, take a photo than yeah. <laughs> come up with words um i'm on instagram it's just suba s-u-b-h-a-h 22 yeah and any shows coming up do you want to press um let me see i think i'm probably i think i'm at the stand coming up soon well just you know uh you'll find suba just come to the city yeah odds are if you go to a (laughs) if you go to a comedy club you'll see her here uh you'll see her uh, at that club. Um, all right, uh, all right. So, but thanks so much for being here. That's Mike Coscarelli on Twitter. I'm at Ben Kissel. Check out the other shows on Cave Comedy Radio. Abe Lincoln's top at the Roundtable of Gentlemen. The last podcast on the left, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.